This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. Rural America is just not being served by the shutdown. Parts of the federal government are closed for business. We're not going to get that information. And who is short on information for decision making? It's the farmer. And that's affecting a variety of Iowans. Air traffic controllers, CSA agents, the FDA not doing food and drug uh, inspections of various types. Small business loans are not going to be processed through the SBA. The impact of a federal government shutdown. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. It's now officially the longest federal government shutdown in our history. The third time in two years alone there's been at least a few hours worth of lack of government funding to keep the doors open, and the 21st such time since 1976. Back on December 11th of last year, I asked U.S. Senator Charles Grassley of New Hartford about the prospects for a shutdown. It costs money to shut down government. It costs money to open up government. Government's a service. So people don't get the service while government shut down. So common sense tells me we ought to find a solution. If we don't, I don't think it'll be shut down very long. But I do feel, as the president feels, there's a necessity to have uh, border security. But as we know, the government shutdown did, in fact, begin just 10 days after that conversation, shortly before Christmas. Even though it's gone on now for three weeks, chances are you have not felt much impact from it yet. Some offices and programs had retained funding in order to stay open, but the longer it goes on, the greater the impact. Here in Iowa, the impact is not as severely felt, at least according to data compiled by the personal finance website, WalletHub. WalletHub compared all 50 states and the District of Columbia in terms of five key metrics, ranging from each state's share of federal jobs to federal contract dollars per capita to the share of families receiving food stamps. Overall, Iowa is the fourth least affected state. Only Nebraska, New Hampshire, and Minnesota are less affected. To no surprise, Washington, D.C. is the most affected. But as we learned in preparing this program, the effects are now starting to be felt, especially by those in rural America. Anna Johnson is the Iowa-based policy manager for the Center for Rural Affairs. The Farm Bill is hundreds of pages and provides marching orders, you know, or, you know, or, or authorizing legislation for USDA across its agencies. And it's a lot of work for um, USDA to take a new bill like the Farm Bill and, and dig in and say, okay, so these are all the new provisions. Like, what do they, what do they all mean for us? What new rules are we going to need to write? What do, we, what do we want those rules to say? What new guidances do we need to release? All of that work um, that, that should be going on at the department right now is, is essentially on hold because, um, because USDA is under, this, under the shutdown. And, um, and so instead, the officials that are still there are forced to be working on the shutdown, and, and, and we're not able to, to move forward with this farm bill that, that, um, that Congress worked really hard to pass. For folks who've been following the shutdown news, it seems like every day there's a new update on what's available and what isn't, um, what's closing down, and, and, and what, they're, what they're cobbling together. Um, we saw Farm Service Agency offices open until the end of December, and, um, and now those have um, closed down. And so any, any loan activity that, um, that farmers would be 
do, normally doing right now. They're they're not able to work with their local FSA offices to you know get their loans in place for the for the coming season. We're also seeing rural development offices and and loans and grants programs shut down. So that's those and those support um, a lot of rural housing, community facilities, utilities, rural businesses. Um, all of that's also on hold. So um, and those are just just a couple of examples of of the ways in which rural America is is just not being not being served by the shutdown. We see a lot of focus on the government employees themselves, typically in the nation's capital. Often we don't pay enough attention to the effect on folks in the rest of the country. It is not, as you just noted, it is not just impacting the federal workers themselves, but it certainly does impact rank and file people throughout the country in these ways. There's no way to prepare for it either, is there, for the people on the farms? Because if you're an employee, you might be able to hear that there's a shutdown and you might be able to squirrel away a little bit of savings. But this is the time decisions are made with regard to the next planting season. This is the time that a new farm law is put in place. You, as a rank-and-file individual, you can't prepare for this. That's absolutely right. And, um, you know, and it's also important to remember that, that the rank-and-file um, USDA employees that work across the country, many of, many of those people are rural rural citizens also. It's just creating a lot of extra extra headache um, at a time when when there's there's a, um, even more work to do than usual. It's not only the the normal you know new year um, financial planning, um, applying for loans, buying seed, all of that work for farmers, but then there's there's the work that's coming of understanding what the new farm bill means and how it's how it's going to serve uh, rural Americans moving forward. And and we just have have none of that certainty. And um, and and know that USDA is going to be further and further delayed in, in rolling out those new changes the longer the shutdown goes on. What advice can be given to those who do not work for the government but yet are directly adversely affected by the shutdown? What do you tell people? That's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think, I think there's, there's a couple of different strategies um, that folks can take. Um, um, we, work, you know, we work in advocacy, and, and folks are always able to call their legislators and, and ask that, um, you know, and, and share their concerns with legislators. So that's that's definitely one path. It is Congress that passes um, a law that funds the government and will reopen reopen USDA and other government offices. So that's that's one advocacy action that can be taken. In terms of financial planning, I think that one's just really tough because everybody's financial situation is different. I think um, I'm, I'm afraid I don't have a have an easy solution to to how to handle FSA offices being closed. But I invite folks um, to, you know, contact us at the Center for Rural Affairs if, if, if there's questions that, that they have for us that we can help with. You can visit our website at www.cfra.org. That's Center for Rural Affairs. Anna Johnson of the Center for Rural Affairs. More on the impact on rural America in a moment. But first, Jordan Goodman, a nationally recognized financial journalist and author, outlined for me this week some of the other impacts of the shutdown. What they're saying now is that they are going to open the IRS. Uh, they're going to get funds from somewhere in order to be able to process refunds. Uh, Americans get about $360 billion in uh, tax refunds. And if that did not happen, uh, that would be a big hit to the economy because that money typically circulates through the economy pretty quickly. Um, so that's good news that somehow they're going to reopen the IRS and get the, the refunds flowing because that was really going to hurt things otherwise. Say this goes on for months, Jeff, okay? 
Uh, that could definitely tip us over because uh, let me just give you a few examples of how this could affect us. Uh, the air traffic system, uh, air traffic controllers, TSA agents, they've already been walking off the job to some extent. If we uh, slow down or, or throttle the air traffic uh, system, that would be a major hit to the economy right there. Uh, the FDA and the Agriculture Department not doing food and drug uh, inspections of various types. I mean, let's hope that doesn't happen, but, you know, say there's an E. coli breakout or something like that because not having proper inspections, that would be a major hit to the economy. Uh, small business loans uh, are not going to be processed through the SBA, and farmers are not going to get uh, the subsidies they were getting because of the uh, the trade war uh, with, with China. I, I could go on and on. There's just a lot of things that are, as this rolls out, continue to hit uh, the economy in many ways. People don't know what to do. I mean, the federal workers alone, uh, in many cases, work paycheck to paycheck. Uh, so you're going to see their credit scores going down. If they can't pay their rent or their mortgage or their credit card bills, uh, you're going to see an awful lot of distress there. So people have been asking me, what can they do? Well, there are some things that are being done out there. There are, for example, various credit unions uh, aimed at federal workers that are offering uh, kind of short-term loans. A Navy Federal Credit Union, for example, is offering a $6,000 interest-free loan um, where the first payment is in two months. So I mean, there's some effort by banks. A lot of the big banks have set up toll-free numbers to help people figure out how to get through this whole thing. Uh, but it's, it's going to cause an awful lot of strain. And remember, it's not just the federal workers directly, but the families relying on them, their kids and their spouses. Uh, so it just, in that alone, has a very pretty wide effect. Jordan Goodman, known as America's Money Answers Man, He's online at moneyanswers.com. For some four decades, Ken Root has reported on agriculture in the Midwest and Plains. He's now a senior broadcaster with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and this past Monday outlined for me some of the direct impacts of this federal government shutdown for those on the farm. Without a doubt, this is an issue that people didn't think about. It's collateral damage. And uh, I've had a lot of farmers through the years, especially when I did talk radio, saying that we don't want government crop reports because those reports uh, give all this information to these big companies and they use it against us. Well, here we are, folks. We're not going to get that information. And who is short on information for decision-making? It's the farmer. Because Cargill, in my view, still has all their people working and they continue, along with many other companies and analysts, to come up with what they think the real world is. And they provide that to their clients, their company or their clients. Whereas the farmer will not know, except for the information given out by a few of these analysts, and they could even stop doing that at this point. So this is a vulnerable time for farmers who have to make decisions. And between now and the 1st of April, even before that, farmers are going to have to make a number of decisions based on low prices for one commodity and potentially lower prices for another. You've talked about some folks getting data from alternate sources and that the farmer is relying on the government. Is this the situation where someone can make a bad decision when they go in to see their lender? Obviously, that could happen. Is the lender going to help so that they can mutually benefit as opposed to the farmer being in a bad position, or am I oversimplifying? 
Well, you're coming at it from two different positions, and I think both are accurate. The lender is not going to know any more than the farmer does uh, unless they've got a source that's uh, from a major banking company such as Rabobank or somebody of that nature, uh, and they're all going to be in the dark. So they'll make decisions without as much information as they normally have. I mean, the USDA report is not the only information that comes out, but it's called the gold standard. In effect, everybody who makes an estimate of what's going to come in the future or how big the crop is checks it against the USDA, not in the U.S., but worldwide. And I think that is the critical part, that these reports done by the, uh, the very professional people of USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, or NAS as we call them, are valuable, if not indispensable, all the time, and we're seeing an example of it now. Okay, let's take a deep breath and say in a week they all go back to work. They will catch up on these reports. We're in the middle of winter. Things don't move nearly as fast now. We may be okay. The major decisions now in the crop area are what to plant. And uh, people who normally want to buy at the beginning of the new year, or, or let's go back, that were wanting to buy at the end of last year because they get some type of a discount or they get it on last year's taxes, they may have bought the wrong thing. They may have bought too much soybean seed. Uh, we may see a 10 million acre reduction in soybeans this year. Ken Root of the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network speaking with me this past Monday. When we come back, a Midwestern economist discusses broader impacts from a protracted shutdown. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Dr. Ernie Goss is the McAllister Chair in Regional Economics at Creighton University and served as the initial director for Creighton's Institute for Economic Inquiry. He is also principal of the Goss Institute in Denver, Colorado, and spearheads two monthly reports, the Mid-America Business Conditions Index and the Rural Main Street Index. We spoke this past Thursday morning. From your standpoint as an economist, there are some tangible factors that tie to the fallout from a governmental shutdown. There are also intangible ones. What are some of the tangible ones that that you can almost quantify as the residual impact of one of these shutdowns, whether it's for three days or three weeks? Well, Jeff, I hate to sound like an economist, which I am, but uh, a decline in GDP, I mean, gross domestic product, the overall output of our economy, this is likely um, could shave as much as a half percentage point from GDP. Now, it depends on, of course, how long this goes on. And, you know, there's there's we say, well, we'll get uh, the workers will get back to work and we'll recapture and be back up to where we were before. But the, you can't uh, work nothing today. 
and then expect to work twice as much tomorrow and make up for it. In other words, there's some lost output that you never regain, and that's that's uh, money, that's that's products, that's services in all of our pockets, in all of our households, and all of our businesses. There's also the fits and starts of actually physically shutting down and then ramping up government. And Senator Grassley on this program has noted he hates shutdowns because they cost more money in the end. There's really no savings here, is there? There is not uh, any savings. Uh, pay. Most workers will regain their lost pay. Of course, they've in the interim, they have to uh, get loans from family and friends, perhaps, to support uh, and paying their bills. But I, another big cost is not just to the government, but it's to those businesses linked to the government, the consultants, the restaurants, the parks. You could you could have those those companies that sell uh, trinkets, that sell souvenirs, all that. Those those costs are like those are real and. They don't get those uh, uh, that back. Those in those companies don't get that back unless they had a set contract for a set amount of money. That's a very interesting point because we have seen the images of the Hoover Presidential Library in West Branch with the closed sign on the door, and so we think about that. But the whole community of West Branch is built around that as a national park, a national tourist site. So those businesses, now granted it's the middle of winter as opposed to say August when they have their annual celebration, but there is that impact. But I had not thought until you mentioned it, the number of federal workers who simply take lunch and go to a a vending cart or a restaurant, etc., those folks don't get this money back. And that really has a depressive effect. That's right. And for example, other on top of that, you've got individuals uh, that stay in motels close by a presidential library, for example, that's sure. closed. They're not obviously you're not gonna you're gonna cancel your reservation unless you really like to, I guess, tour around the grounds, perhaps. <laughs> but there there are some there are some real costs uh, for our, for our society for the American economy. What are some other impacts? For example, are investors even more cautious when the government is shut down? Does it typically have some impact on the stock market, which again is something that novices use as a scoreboard, but I understand it's it's only one aspect of all of this. Talk about some of these other impacts that have nothing to do directly with the government, but the government actions obviously have an impact on what they do and their behavior. Hey, Jeff, a little, let's get a little technical. Sure. Okay. Uh, we The value of a stock is the uh, discounted future earnings of that company. In discounted future earnings, you divide that those profits, for example, by a risk factor. Well, when that risk factor goes up, that denominator goes up and value goes down. That That's just the way it works. So the, the stock values, other things equal, will normally go down because of factors such as this. I mean, this cannot increase certainty. It's it's going to increase what we call risk, what economists call risk, and that, again, will lower those values, those stock values. Now, on the flip side, you've got individuals, investors that go to safe havens. They seek out, they leave stocks because of this risk, and they seek out safe havens. Maybe that might, that might be gold for some that's that's less and less uh, uh, an outcome as we move along. But you might seek out government bonds 
So those prices, the price of bonds go, normally goes up. Obviously, members of the public see what's going on in Washington and only think about the impact on government directly. But again, there are these, these uncertainties that make it difficult even more broadly. For example, if I'm a business owner, uncertainty, as I phrase it, risk, as, as you've termed it, that is something that makes me cautious about doing things, expanding, investing, and, and that does have, I'll say, a trickle-down. I don't mean it in an economic term as it's been used over the past 30 years, but it has a trickle-down effect on just average workers every single day. Right. And I'll give you an example. Of course, this one's been broadly cited, but getting a mortgage that's backed by the government. Well, that's not... Those uh, individuals that approve that are, are normally considered non-essential, so those loans will take longer to get approved or will not be approved during this process. And we're already looking, Jeff, at a, a housing sector that's limping along, and I, I, it's, it's really not. No, is there a good time for something like this? No, but there's some times that are worse for the government shutdown. I would argue this might be one of those times when it could. We, we, we would have it would have been a better to. It would have been better to have shut the government down last year at this time than this year at this time. And so uh, we got other factors like in uh, for the state of Iowa, for example. Uh, uh, federal regulatory compliance. Now, food inspections continue to go on. Those individuals are considered essential. However, as it goes along, will that be the case? And and how about the speed of that compliance, the, the regulatory compliance? How about in, in, uh, the IPO markets, initial public offerings? That's the stock stock sale of a company that wishes to go public, like Uber is a private company, Uber. And if they're t they're considering going private, well, the SEC cannot. They're they're limited in their ability to do anything like that. So there are it, it, the tentacles of the government go out to all of us. Even I, I would suspect if you're a hermit in uh, Alaska, sorry for that, Alaska. If you're a hermit <laughs> in Nebraska, in Alaska, you're going to see some impacts. Creighton University economist Dr. Ernie Goss. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.